Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans off-topic, game-specific, whatever-you-want-to-talk-about podcast. My name is Mike Solosi, I'm Monsoon on the boards, and I'm here for another fine episode with another fine panel here with me. So, starting with Rob Fenner. Uh, Towns Carmarty on the boards. I've got my special Mock Pizza branded shirt from Fangamer on, so you know I'm ready for the war against Gygus. Oh, man. God, I don't even want to think of the level of Earthbound merch out there. I'm sure it's way above me. All right, and also we have Keegan Lee joining us again. Hey, folks. Fozzie Bear on the boards, and I am the Earthbound newbie for today's episode. Oh, yes. I can't wait to hear your reactions for that exact reason, Keegan. <laughs> One of us. <laughs> You're going to be just painting everything blue by the end of the, by the, end of the month. And joining us, for the fir- joining us for the first time in Retro Encounter, we have a new panelist, Hilary Andruff. Hello. Um, I have a Ness hat. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me, but still a huge fan of Earthbound. Excited to be here. Now, are you sure it's a Ness hat, or did someone just sell you a Pokemon trainer hat and tell you it was a Ness hat? It's definitely not a Pokemon trainer hat. I don't know. I I couldn't tell the difference. I don't know about you guys. It's all a matter of perspective. (laughs) So, if you hadn't gathered yet by now, yet, audience... We're talking about Earthbound for this month, over two episodes. This is the first of those. The classic Super Nintendo RPG from uh, what I guess is an in-house Nintendo studio, because, uh, I mean, Earthbound and Mother in general are Nintendo first party. Am I, am I assuming that right? Yeah, it's, it's a yes. HAL game. Okay, it's a HAL game with the, but I'm not. I'm still not sure exactly what Studio APE is, but <laughs> oh, that's just uh, that's just Etoy's own little brand. Okay, I get it. So it's so it's like Bird Studio or something for a curatorial. That's right. Yeah. Okay, uh, I got Armor it. Studio for UG uh, Hori. Got it. Okay, so speaking of which, Mother One, which was a NES game, was basically a uh, a Dragon Quest clone of sorts that had, you know, some unusual setting and tone and dialogue and story, but really wasn't. I, I don't think it's the most impressive NES game. We don't have to get too deep into that. But its sequel, Mother 2, called Earthbound in Other Territories, is something totally different and and I think is quite a special RPG and, and holds a very dear place in the hearts of many RPG fans. And it was a uh, runaway winner of our interior, of our internal poll for what uh, game to play this month. So... Now, I, of course, I'm going to be picking on you all episode, Keegan, so we might as well start right now. Um, just give me your your brief, brief Earthbound history and your very immediate abridged thoughts on the game so far. So my brief history of Earthbound was I knew Ness from Super Smash Bros. I know there's a character named Pooh in here. And I know that the last boss is supposed to be horrifying. That's all I knew about the game going in. And so far, I to say I'm amazed is like, uh, understatement, and I've got plenty to say later. Excellent. All right, Hillary. Uh, same question. Your brief Earthbound history and your thoughts on replaying the game. Sure. Um, I played a good chunk of it over ten years ago. Um, watched more of it, so I'm pretty familiar with the whole run of the game. Um, and going back to it, I'm still amazed by how touching and uplifting it is honestly this game is a huge mood booster <laughs> right on okay and rob same question to you sorry i'm just being i'm just repeating myself over and over today that's all right 
Uh, I was an avid reader of EGM as a child. Uh, they used to have a uh, section in each issue devoted to uh, highlighting what games were on the horizon coming out in Japan. Uh, and I think it was 1993 or 1994, uh, they ran some screenshots and a description of Mother 2. And I was like, that looks amazing, and we're probably never, ever going to see it. Uh, lo and behold, the following year, uh, Earthbound was announced for release, and it had this goofy kind of gross-out um, scratch-and-sniff trading card ad campaign around it. And I, I was over the moon that um, Mother 2 was coming. Because... Um, I'm a, I'm a uh, Midwestern kid, and seeing a game that um, recreated traveling through the, the Midwest to the big city uh, through a skewed Japanese satirical lens, I was like, wow, I, I, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. So um, I am a lifelong fan of Earthbound. It's probably one of my top three RPGs, if not my favorite RPG, and it has held up remarkably well. It's been a real pleasure to play it again with you guys. Right. I remember um, a little less than a year ago when we were on the uh, episode 50 podcast, um, we each uh, we each like pitched the, a game to, to play in the new year, and it ended up being um, Alana's pick, Shadow Hearts Covenant. But you um, suggested Earthbound on that episode. Yeah, the boring guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was no. But I mean, Earthbound's a special game to me too. I didn't. I wasn't quite in uh, as early as you were. When I was, um, when I first got into RPGs, was the early to mid '90s when I was perhaps seven or eight. And after I had played, you know, Final Fantasy four and six and a few others, one of my friends uh, lent me his copy of Earthbound, which is which I think still is his favorite game of all time, and insisted I had to play it because it was it was set in America, maybe, and uh, and you ate hamburgers instead of drinking potions, and and your your kid with a baseball bat was your main character, and I um I, uh, I I played it and I liked it, but I didn't maybe understand all of the things going on in Earthbound, at least to the awareness that I uh, would have as playing as an adult, and I did play it a second time when I was emulating every single game I possibly could and replaying a bunch of older games uh, in the early 2000s. So this is my third time playing Earthbound, I think, and I it it, it hold now that I'm looking at it with a bit more of a critical eye and a less of a nostalgic eye. It holds up even better. <laughs> I um I'm really oh, I'm I'm really impressed with uh with what it does with its tone and its uh and its color and um a, a occasional subversion of video game ideas and mechanics. There's there's a lot to talk about with Earthbound. So I think we'll start at the beginning. Um, a young boy named Ness uh is shaken awake by a landing meteorite and checks out the meteorite with his annoying neighbor Pokey. And uh, is informed that he is a boy of prophecy uh, who needs to seek out three other companions and save the world. And it's, it, it happens a little quickly, but <laughs> um, let's just stay in the town of Wynette, the, the first town in the game. Um, and I'll start with Robert. What kind, um, when you're exploring Wynette for the first time, like what... Are the things you notice? What is? Uh, what do you think is the most interesting about the first hour or so of Earthbound? Okay, hot take. I think that Onet is the hardest part of the game. <laughs> I think that Tucson is the hardest part of the game, but we can talk about really? that later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Certainly. Um, you know, you you start out at level one. You are alone, and you are usually going up against. Um, you know, a group of gang members or um, some wild animals, it's very, very easy to get knocked down, um, which can be a little bit discouraging at first. But 
Um, I think exploring Onet is such a it's such a pleasurable and bizarre um, introduction to an RPG world. You know, you're you're just on the outskirts of this little suburb, and you you bumble down to town, and um, you know, stopping at pizza places, stopping at the library to get your town map, and um, you know, fight uh, fight a uh, fight a gang that's hanging out in the arcade. But you know, these bright colors and these sort of like um, uh, 19, 1940s, 1950s build aluminum sided houses. Um, it bears a striking resemblance to Peanuts. I think Itoi must have been a Peanuts fan. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, and there's a. Like uh, this... uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. There's um, one reviewer who uh, many of us probably are familiar with, uh, Yahtzee from The Escapist. He just, um, he mentioned that uh, Earthbound is one of the few Japanese RPGs he likes, and he described it with the Cthulhu Mythos joining the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, which is. Maybe one of my favorite one of my favorite metaphors I've I've heard by it from a games writer. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> well, hey, you've you've said it you've said it better than me. Um, but as you explore this town, you you get the sense like it's it's Earthbound's tone is simultaneously sweet and subversive. You know, you. Um, you talk with the other kids in the treehouse. You call your mom, and or you or you go see your mom when you're feeling lonely to cure the homesickness affliction. Uh, and then uh, the cops are just you know building barricades to um, you know just for the sake of bureaucracy. And then when you want to leave town, the cops take you in the back room and try to beat you up. You know, so there's like this challenge of of authority figures, but still this sort of um, I wouldn't say. F- Family friendly sounds like the wrong point that I'm trying to get across, but it's like fun for all ages, but still uncompromising and sarcastic in its tone. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Something I noticed playing it now that I didn't notice playing as a kid is how oppressive uh, the atmosphere is. Maybe it's because I've very recently played Persona 5 and these thoughts are on my mind. But um, adults are getting in your way and discounting your activities or even trying to cover up your activities all the time in this, in Earthbound. Um, oh, like, yeah. Because you're, um, you're running afoul of the police force in, I think, like at least two of the four of the first five cities. And... Uh, um, and and you and adults are either consistently getting in your way or falling under evil influence easily. It's uh, it it really feels like a, a sort of a twisted lens of kids versus a, adults, and in a way that uh, I, I don't know. They they remind me of like of a, a combination of incompetence and unbelieving, like the police in an Alfred Hitchcock movie or something. Hmm. It, it's it's ch- it's challenging these overzealous authority figures at every turn. And to be honest, I don't I didn't remember it being, uh, you know, having exactly that much to its tone uh, as it actually does. And, you know, it, it kind of paves the way to Mother 3, which is pretty much kind of like a Marxist manifesto. Oh, in the yeah. Game. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, Mother Mother it, 3 is, is more authority challenging and political than Mother 2. <laughs> yeah, I I completely, you know, I must have gone over my head or I just forgotten just how how well these two games tie together and it's not quite as innocent as i remember it being it's it's <laughs> much more knowing when i revisit it you know right on and, and one thing that you mentioned that i want to ask keegan um uh, you mentioned that there's a homesickness stat which comes up which can come up rather unexpectedly if you don't visit or call your mom often enough so uh keegan did you um did ness get stuck with homesickness as you were playing the game at any time 
No, I actually haven't gotten it. And to be honest, I haven't called my mom or like visited her. So okay, because if um, I'm surprised. All right, all right. For the uninitiated, Keegan or listeners, um, sometimes Ness gets homesick if he hasn't spoken to his mother in a while, and which means that uh, it it won't look like anything on the map. But in any battle, he'll just sit around and and uh, and not do anything or or get hungry for steak or something. Or uh, you have to mention your favorite. You one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of the game uh, when you're creating your characters basically is what Ness's favorite food is, and the default is steak. I don't I don't know what it is in Japanese. Um, and so yeah, that is one thing that I remember the very first time I played the I played the game. I think I was in uh, I was in Saturn Valley or, or Master Barf's headquarters, and suddenly Ness was oh, no. was totally ineffective in battle, and I had no idea what was going on. So that and that ended up in a game over in a game over and me figuring out what to do uh, shortly after. But uh, Hillary, same thing uh, that I asked Robert earlier. Like just um, the first hour or ninety minutes of the game when you're in Onet or Onet, uh, what are your sort of thoughts revisiting that for the first time? Or revisiting sure, I... that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Words. Well, it's interesting because I kept thinking of something that sort of ties in really well to what was just said, which is this sort of duality because everything does seem there's great bright color everything seems pretty cheery in some cases you can go back and visit home as you're starting out but at at the same time there are some kind of very sinister undertones and it actually reminded me of something i heard of which was a kind of a documentary of earthbound actually that was done as a horror movie so i kind of had that on my mind <laughs> as i was going through it okay <laughs> thinking like what would it actually look like if these children were going around you know fighting these really sometimes creepy corrupting influences and you don't get quite so much of that as you're starting out but it, it does start to creep in toward the end of like that first hour or so <laughs> awesome so yeah, you have you know bureaucratic policemen and opportunistic mayors and a very colorful, cheery-looking city that, may, with you know just your, but you're only hearing the very beginning of a uh, of sort of the dark undertones of Earthbound. These, uh, I think, uh, is is the unifying factor those uh, those Mani Mani statues that are getting around. It's, it's the only it's just one Mani Mani statue, it's but yeah, it's one. making okay. around. Yeah, so far. Right. And 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 first liar exaggerate has it, then Pokey steals it and takes it to the cultist, and then and then Everdread steals it and takes it to Foreside where it's stolen from him, and then you destroy it in Foreside, right? Correct. Yes. Right. Okay. So that so that um that Mani Mani statue is some court sort of connection between uh the events of the first couple towns and what's going on behind the scenes, which is some kind of invasion or uh or you know world domination attempt by something called Gigas or Gigas. Right? Uh, how, how are we gonna what what's our um take on pronouncing that word? G I Y G A S. I think it's meant to be Gigas. Gigas? But, That's uh, how I always said it. <laughs> it's, like okay. the, it's like the unpronounced little Gigu or something in Japanese. So. <laughs> sure. I mean, Gigas works. All right, I'll, I'll take Gigas. So, and, uh, and the second half of the game, you uh, face Gigas' stuff more directly. But, and, so anyway, it, uh, it, it reaches Gigas that um, he's going to be thwarted by three boys and one girl, and the first of whom is Ness. And so once you make it to the second town of the game, Tucson, uh, Ness uh, recruits Paula to his cause, who is uh, the girl in that, in that prophecy. And um, something that I alluded to earlier, I think that 
um, Tucson up until you recruit Paula is the hardest part of the game for some of the same reasons Robert thought uh, Onet was the hardest part of the game because you still only have one character and even though you're a little bit more your movesets more uh, uh, fleshed out and you're stronger than you were before that um, peaceful rest valley journey to the second town oh, is yeah. uh, is a mofo uh, Very true. Yeah, especially if you run afoul of like the wrong of like multiple UFOs or trees that explode in your face. Oh, the exploding trees. Yep. Uh, so, uh, the, I th- and I think once you get a second party member finally at the at the end of that sequence, and Paul is a, a mage character that can uh, that can you know cast elemental magic while Ness is sort of a Dragon Quest hero type that's heavily armored and has healing magic. Uh, I think the game gets a lot easier once you have a once you have a full cast to mess around with and more than one inventory of items to throw things in. <laughs> so um, I, I guess we'll start with Keegan. We, you've been a little quiet for the first uh, couple episodes um, episodes for the first um, couple minutes. Uh, like, what was your take on Tucson, Peaceful Rest Valley, and the delightful blue cultists in Happy Happy Village? <laughs> so first off, I can say that the mushroomize status effect can go away and never be seen again because that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Agreed. Wasn't it great know. wasn't it great when the fourth sanctuary boss decided to bring it back just for old time's sake? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I had I Paula cast I had Paula cast fire on my whole team. It was great. Oh, but yeah, I um agreed definitely that there was a not a difficulty jump, but kind of like a relaxation once Paula joined. Although finding those teddy bears around made the game a lot easier mm-hmm. in and of itself. Teddy bear yeah. currently is my favorite party member. So yes, <laughs> yeah, I I would say I got a little frustrated once I didn't have the teddy bears and was still trying to level Paula up a little bit. Oh yeah, the mm-hmm. oh yeah, because she, she yeah she'll join at level one while Ness is yep. at least at level. At, at least level 15, maybe higher. Yep. Yeah, so and the that's same thing uh, happens for Jeff later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, believe, I believe a similar thing happens with the fourth party member, but he gets he gets level up on his own a little bit first, and it isn't, it's not as bad a situation as Paula or Jeff, but... Yeah, Boy, that, does he earn it. Yeah, yeah he does. We'll talk but, about that next Yeah, that, that sequence is... Uh, okay, I don't remember it maybe as clearly as I'd like to, but that sequence is weird and interesting. That gave me nightmares as a kid. Right on. So, staying in Tucson and Happy Happy Village, um, uh, H- Hillary. I mean, you seem to run up foul of exploding exploding trees just as I did. But uh, I mean, how about that blue cult? It's it, like like uh, 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 Ness is looking for Paula, who's been kidnapped, and finds a town of people obsessed with the color blue, including talking blue cows. And yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing as a, as a kid, uh, this is going to be a recurring segment of things I did not understand as a child playing this game for the first time. Um, I did not figure out the uh, the maze of blue cultists very well at first because oh. I, I didn't I didn't realize you had to talk to the ones that were sl- moving in a slightly different way. It 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 all just sort of looked too similar to me. So I just went and tried to find more ways to rescue Paula in Peaceful Rest Valley and got to level 25 <laughs> or something stupid. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, oh, no, it'll it'll get weirder later. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, blue cultists. You're, you're, Hillary, your thoughts? <laughs> My thoughts on them in general. Uh, it's it's kind of nice how they had such a quick turnaround after that many, many statue left. Um, 
I, you know, that maze, I think, I don't know if it's because I like a lot of retro titles, but the visual kind of movement cues throughout there didn't didn't bother me quite so much. It was mostly the area around there that really yeah no, <laughs> that really tripped me up. Yeah, it's uh, uh if, if you get the Franklin badge, um the boss the the coldest boss is not that difficult. It was just me I just, was... it was just me just not just fail, <laughs> uh, failing to understand a visual cue as a child, I guess. But but, I... Uh, but P- I agree that Peaceful Rest Valley is real challenging. I'm sorry I'm, I keep interrupting you. It's a problem that no, I no, have. No. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah, I I am really really thankful for Paula's foresight and that Franklin badge. <laughs> Yeah. For sure. That Franklin badge is helpful the whole game because whoever's holding it will just get um will just get lightning attacks reflected, which happens, which you know is is a little uncommon, but useful enough for an inventory slot, I think. Yeah, definitely. I I noticed a few enemies later on, and I did go back and get it. I brought it back into my inventory. And uh, <laughs> when uh, staying in the town of Tucson a little bit, we have uh, one of my favorite NPCs of the game uh, appear for the first time, Apple Kid. And his, Apple kid. And, his lo- and his loser rival Orange Kid. <laughs> yeah, those those townspeople have it totally wrong. Yeah, about yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, I was actually a little surprised um, when I was uh, getting near uh, near to the end of our stopping point last night. Uh, uh, I was in Foreside and I got a call from Orange Kid for the first time. That because I. I, oh. I, I yeah, I, I gave him the two hundred dollars to invest, even though I know he's useless. Uh, and he said, "Yeah, uh, I'm trying to make boiled eggs turn back into raw eggs. I'll get back to you later." And it's like, "Oh, <laughs> so I got like, that call too." It's like, I decided to support both of them, mm-hmm, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just trying to be good, you know, like uh, good patrons to science, and we got instead we get useless orange kid instead of. <laughs> But uh, and by then, Apple Kids invented like four things that you that you're required to advance the game, including a pencil and eraser, which erases anything that looks like a pencil. It's not an actual pencil eraser, and a, <laughs> uh, a yogurt machine that only makes trout flavored yogurt, and a zo- and zombie paper that will capture and immobilize zombies la- with a, in a flypaper like substance. And that's just that's just scratching the surface of what of, of, of Apple Kids beginnings. We're gonna see more of Apple Kid because that, that guy rules. He gets I love these. Um, he gets these inventions. To you through his own invention, the phone that can only receive calls. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I love how how his last call before our stopping point was like, I I might be an actual genius. I think I'm starting <laughs> to uncover this big plot and see what's behind all these things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go investigate. Yeah, Apple Kid's Apple Kid's a baller. He's awesome, and it's a. Uh, it, it, but it's it's not really communicated right away that he's the one that you should be talking to and not Orange Kid. <laughs> but you but you need his pencil eraser to go through Peaceful Rest Valley. So uh, yeah, you're gonna have to invest in his inventions if you want to make it through the game. He's uh, he's got a little pal too. Oh right, he has a uh, he has um the, the was it the the house mouse the box mouse the oh, yeah. uh, the the mouse that nobody has given a name to. Right, they, that's uh, it. It's a it's a parody of the uh, Natsume Sosuke novel. I am a cat. Oh, the first the first, uh, the first line of that book is I am a cat. Nobody's given me a name yet, but in this very sort of haughty old um, old style formal Japanese. Oh wow! So. <laughs> nice little literary reference in his okay, mouth. That, that's a reference that definitely went over my head when I was an eleven year old that could only <laughs> mm-hmm. speak English. But actually, going back to ha- going back to Happy Happy Valley for a minute, the I think if we're pointing out things about tone and irony and things like that, just the fact that the Happy Happy Valley cultists are blue 
Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of cool and interesting, and just visually seeing everything in that valley Hmm. monotone, and then later on, once you've cleared it. And also, hot, uh, qu- quick hot take. I think that blue is more like a purple. So, I mean, their cult, yeah. <laughs> their cult was over before it began. <laughs> so, yeah, With- man. Like, uh, and, uh, and now, now one last thing I want to talk about in Tucson is another favorite NPC or group of NPCs of mine. The Runaway oh. Five. Yes. How dope are the <laughs> Runaway Five? Starring their, was- own, their own fake Aylwood and Jake Blues. <laughs> so excited! I had no idea that that was in the game, mm-hmm. and the second it happened, and even like the music that played, even though it was you know chip tune, it sounded kind of like a Blues Brothers thing going on. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, it's they're definitely influenced by the Blues Brothers, except oh, that they play course, with yeah. they they play with Mario Paint audio. Um, <laughs> but they, it's... they changed the colors um, for the uh, English uh, release, fearing copyright. They were just in the Blues Brothers outfits. Oh, oh, they, oh originally. yeah. Oh, that's right. I've seen their art. They're on. They're in the. Uh, they're in the tuxes and ties. Right. Yeah, you can get statues of them. I really want them. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> but um, it's optional seeing their performance in Tucson. Did you? Uh, did you guys watch it? Yep. Oh yeah. Of course. Awesome. Uh, I was in there talking to them before and after pretty much at any point I could just to see how what they said changed. I love that they're, uh, one of their players only has one song that he's, that he's trying to get the band to sing. So, he just, <laughs> so whenever he, uh, so whenever he like, appears and is part of the plot, he just says, money, that's what is hot, money, that's what I don't got, or, <laughs> or whatever, whatever the song is. Um, and also, here's part two of young Mike Solosi not knowing how to play video games. Um, I spent a long time, we're talking hours, oh, no. hours, no. And, and, perhaps, oh, no. and perhaps getting, like, Ness to 30 and Paul to 20 trying to figure out how to leave Tucson because oh, I didn't yeah. because mm. I didn't realize you have to, um, when you give them money to the uh, to the club owner you have to go to the side and show yes. it to him from the side because mm. if you if you if you show it to him from the front he says oh I can't see that can you bring it closer and I did not know that meant when I was a child um, go around behind the desk and give it to him Be- and so instead I was just trying to find some way out of Tucson and leveling up in mm. Peaceful Rest Valley again oh get- no yeah <laughs> I did a sort of mini version of that like for little while before I remembered this time because <laughs> what he says is sort of like I want to get a really close look at that. Right. So it took me a while to remember. Oh, right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Why are they always so broke? Like, well, I mean, I mean, they, they, they tell you multiple times they're good musicians, but they are hopeless with money and women, which, <laughs> I, which I totally believe. Mm-hmm. It seems that they're signing these contracts that are disadvantageous to them, and they're bound by the law by, like, basically a scam. I think that's basically what goes on in both of the theaters. It could be that they're just not great at reading, because when, they're tra- when, their, bus travels, when their bus travels from left to right, it says runaway. But when it goes from right to left, it shows runaway backwards. So I think, I think maybe just reading and writing are not their strong suits. Where's their manager? <laughs> They're, they're, also, there's, they probably um, represent themselves, which is never a good idea in any situation. Uh, s- speaking of uh, problems with numbers, there are six of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I guess there are countings. Their strong isn't their strong suit either. They just need to watch a lot of Sesame Street and get their act together. Just, just reading, writing, counting. Man, those are the three key skills that I still use every day. You can go on square four and or square one and play with a fat square player. one. Oh shoot, I remember square one. Do you remember their? Do you remember their? They did a a, a math parody of a cop show uh, called MathNet. That I guess was a parody of Dragnet. 
Yeah, yeah, I do. That show, I, they did one murder mystery episode of that show that gave me nightmares as a child. Yes, a math show. <laughs> the Okay, the math show that aired between Sesame Street and Bill Nye gave me a nightmare once as a child. It's true. The, the, the Pac-Man parody, Math Man, got kind of into, like, body <laughs> horror sometimes. Yeah, man. <laughs> wow, that sounds like tonally it fits right in with Earthbound sometimes. Yeah, man, PBS, PBS, yeah. PBS in the late 80s, early 90s was a thing, man. Holy crap. Even more of a horror show than Earthbound. So, <laughs> so we finally leave Tucson because we have some, you know, like, jamming soul bros uh, whose bus is so loud that it frightens away the ghosts haunting the tunnel <laughs> in so between nice. two towns. And that's a real sentence I just said. Uh, and you find that the third town is infested with zombies, uh, but they may be... They may be barf zombies or circus zombies. It's really unclear the origin and nature of these zombies. And uh, you get um, captured by following a woman into her hotel room, which I'm all, which is also not a good idea, children. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you meet the third character of this adventure, Jeff, who lives in a boarding school in a town called Winters, and eventually you uh, visits you via flying saucer, flying machine of sorts. Right. Skyrunner. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Yep, the Skyrunner. And Jeff is an interesting cat. We talked about him a little bit earlier when I, uh, when I said he's basically a fake version of one of the Mother One characters. Maybe Was that before recording? That was before. <laughs> okay, my bad. Okay. So we... Uh, no, we... The, in retrospect, the, the Mother One version is a fake one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, okay. We, uh, Jeff is this, uh, the gun-wielding character. He's nerdy. He can use machines. He can repair things. He has a, uh an item that can unlock any door, which seems really useful until you realize you only need it like three times and then you can put it away forever. And he's, he's also got a scan ability instead of uh, psi, uh, psi attacks. Right, that's right. He's the only character that doesn't have psychic, atta- psychic powers. But he has pretty good offense because he's also the only character that can fire bottle rockets. And those mm. do a lot of damage. Through to the end game, even. Oh, yeah. The, the big bottle rockets are kind of, you know, the way to finish that game. Yes. Yeah, well, the, the, there's a third kind of bottle rocket called I think it's I think it's like it's multi bottle rocket or combo bottle rocket that will it'll it'll deal like over a thousand dollar damage to the final boss. So yeah, that mm. that's how you beat the game. Oh wow! But um, <laughs> so you meet Jeff and uh, let, um, and we, I guess we talked about him before the podcast started recording. So uh, starting with Hillary this time, what are your thoughts on Jeff and what he brings to the team? Um, I, I kind of have a soft spot for his type of character, I, I have to admit. So I was really excited. I, you know, I knew we were going to meet him. Um, something that, that I think I maybe overlooked a little bit with him and made me appreciate him a little bit more this time around. I got a good sense of him just stepping out and doing something completely different. You know, it doesn't seem like he'd been out of winters very much, if I had to guess, when he just gets this message from Paula all of a sudden. And, you know, that, that was a pretty big leap of faith. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, well, Paula also takes quite a leap of faith when she joins you. She can, yep. you know, she called out to you with her psychic powers and was at least somewhat aware of the prophecy. But, um I mean, this is this happens in a lot of RPGs, I guess. But uh, the yeah. t- your teammates join you with uh, alarming uh, readiness and, <laughs> and quickness, and uh, and seem to accept their destiny very easily, which is, <laughs> you know, am- amusing looking at it with a sl- slightly more jaded viewpoint as an adult. Yes, uh, exactly. I think mm. that's what I'm getting at. Is you know, being older, that, but and also the fact that Jeff's the one without 
you know, the psychic points. So presumably he's not quite in on as much of the psychic power. <laughs> right. And um, I, we uh, we mentioned this before again, but I, th- I think it's a, a really fun little mini side quest he has where when you find broken items and place them in his inventory, uh, sometimes during hotels, if his IQ stat is high enough, he can turn them into useful into useful items and uh, including some including some weapons for himself, which is a cool little thing, and it, it makes you know finding certain types of items in, in treasure chests or, or present boxes even a little more fun. Which yes. Which I accept. I mean, I'm. I mean, I've been playing RPGs for so for so long. I'm like one of Pavlov's dogs whenever I see a present, <laughs> a present box or a treasure chest. Right. Right on. Um. So, um, Jeff rescues your teammates from uh from the zombies uh from zombie jail in the crypt, and then you uh try to get to the bottom of the zombie outbreak, which you you know solve with uh, Apple Kids zombie paper, mm-hmm. of course, and then you go to. One of the most delightful parts of the game, Saturn Valley. Ah, uh, yes. So, Keegan, I, you're the newbie. I'm going to pick on you over and over for two episodes. I need to hear what you think about Saturn Valley. <laughs> okay, so this is going back to our Dragon Quest episode, but how we talked about it was hard to read Sancho's dialogue in that game. <laughs> that, <laughs> mm-hmm, in retrospect, Sancho speaks perfect English compared to reading Saturn text. <laughs> like, my eyes hurt after reading it. But on the other hand, it is a very cool place. I like how pretty much, you know, the healing is free there, along with the doctor stay at the inn for free. But also just like the Saturns themselves. Oh yeah, they're they're they're, know, they're immediately friendly and welcoming. The Saturn Mr. Saturns are better than humans. Just straight up. Yeah. <laughs> they are so pure and they have transcended the need for money. And uh okay, I mean this is I know controversial opinion. My favorite Mr. Saturn Probably Mr. Saturn. Uh, Rob, Robert, Robert, you? Do you have a favorite Mr. Saturn? Uh, you know, I mean, it's so hard to pick. Um, do you mind if I give you my top three? All right, go. Hit me. Uh, Mr. Saturn, mm-hmm. Mr. Saturn. Okay, so it and... makes sense so far. Mr. Saturn. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Man. <laughs> Spitting hot fire at the last one there. Dr. Saturn is in a, cl- a close fourth, a close mm-hmm. fourth, but the top three, you got to go with those three. And, uh, you know, you, you say this, I, I, I maybe, I, okay, I, it was clear earlier, earlier, but maybe not clear to Keegan who hasn't played this yet. Um, Mr. Saturn, the, my favorite Mr. Saturn, you don't even meet him until the second half of the game. So, yeah, Saturn Valley is a totally absurd uh, land where some strange uh, circular people live, and a couple of them are heartbreakingly enslaved by a uh, by a um, a pile of barf named Barf. Or, I'm sorry, named oh. Mas- Master Barf. Master Belch. Master Mas- Belch. Oh, later. right. Oh, Master Barf is mas- is the Master Belch palette swap. My mistake. Okay, I'm sorry. See, it's been he's, a long time. Master Belch is Barfy Master. Right. Yeah, Master Belch is Barfy Master Master Barf. Got it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but you, um, okay, now here's part three of Solosi didn't understand this game as a child. Um, the, uh, the password to get into Master Belch's lair is to sit still for three minutes. But like Keegan, I had difficulty reading the Mr. Saturn text and didn't always understand what they were saying. So the Mr. Saturn tells you to wait at the waterfall for three minutes went right over my head. 
So <laughs> yeah. some Takeshi's challenge kind of stuff. Yeah, so it, it took it took um it took me a while to figure out that's what I had to do. I maybe I even had to call the friend I borrowed the game from. I don't remember exactly. This was twenty plus years ago. But uh so yeah, to enter Ma- Master Belch's lair, you have to stand still under a waterfall for three minutes. And I was never happier to have a fast forward button than I was for replaying that right now. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was nifty, but uh, but yeah, Ms- uh, Master Belch is the source of the zombie outbreak. So once you defeat him, all of the zombies are gone, and three has nice peppy music instead of sad dark music. I will say though that uh, Master Belch's dungeon is the first time in the game that my party wiped. And it's been ah. a constant stream since mm. then. Like, and it might have I think it was my fault, too, because I didn't spend a lot of time leveling Jeff up to Ness and Paula's mm-hmm. level. Ooh. But, like, and honestly, it was that rolling die. Like, I try to figure out how much HP they take, and I'll be like, oh, it's fine. I look down. Jeff's dead. Ness has no <laughs> PP left. It's just Paula swinging a frying pan at this point. <laughs> like, this game can punish you if you don't pay attention to it. Um, yeah, I, 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 but the defense the defense stat is very po- powerful in Earthbound. So if it's if it's too low, you'll take enormous damage. But if it's significantly higher than like the enemy's average attack, then you'll barely take any damage. So paying attention yep. to your armor and keeping equipped is very important to surviving in Earthbound. More more so than it should be. It's like it's not the most perfectly balanced RPG. That that is a lesson I had to relearn for sure. <laughs> But um, I think Keegan alluded to this a little bit. One interesting mechanic that Earthbound has is the rolling health bars, where uh, whenever you take da- um it looks like uh, uh, your your health number is a number that, uh, and when you take damage or 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 heal yourself, it rolls, uh, sort of like numbers on a slot machine or in a Rolodex or something. So you can see it scrolling down to a to a lower number if you take a lot of damage. And if you take mortal damage, you know, a hit that will kill you. Um, but if your gut stat is high enough, sometimes you'll be left with one even if you take normal damage. Um, it, like, while your health is scrolling down, if you act quickly enough, you can have Ness or uh, someone use a healing spell or item to uh, heal them back up before their health mm-hmm. reaches zero. And you can and you could subvert the... Uh, you can subvert, subvert death blows a little bit that way. And yeah. I've, I've had to do this by finishing the battle. That's yep. right. That's true. The, the game expects you to do that, which I think is really cool. There's a mole, I think, with those exploding trees mm. before mm. Happy Happy Valley, and he he kind of basically tells you to do that to wait get through the battle before right there's the, HP. Yeah, there's a couple friendly moles in the game that uh, that will inform you about some uh, about new game mechanics or uh, or basic game mechanics a couple times. There's one in one at and there's one at Happy Happy Valley. Right. That is one of the things that I really really appreciate about this game is that they they do expect you to be a little bit subversive that way and they encourage it hmm. and and i also don't really know of any other game that does this that allows you to because i mean in a dragon quest game which is maybe the easiest thing to compare earthbound to in a lot of ways the damage that you take is instant and the numbers just change immediately and i don't know of other games where uh like you can you know, have the damage over time and heal, where basically every move is like a DOT or an HOT, so you can, you know, stop them, stop damage in its tracks a little bit if you're quick enough. I I don't know other, of other RPGs that do that, which is a little strange because it, it's fun and interesting, and usually if something's fun and interesting, it'll be, it'll be copycatted quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's just one of those things that sets Earthbound apart from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Earthbound was a very early example of a turn-based RPG that had that had uh, enemies visible in the field. 
Oh yeah, it uh, mm. it's it's really nice. I mean, uh, playing a game from that era that doesn't have random encounters because I mean, I I am very comfortable with the idea of random encounters. I have played hundreds of hours of games with random encounters, but it's refreshing not to have to deal with them. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially, mm-hmm. It gives you some level of control of what you fight and what you don't fight, and uh, and and most of the time, I think Earthbound plays fair with what enemies do. Like there, there's a relatively few times where they'll give you no chance or no information on uh, on mm. an enemy on on an enemy going for you. Mm. Which I mean, is, that can be a bit of a pet peeve of mine of them, you know, having a uh, providing information like visible enemies or something, and then just throwing it out the window and giving you a near random encounter anyway. That's that, that that's something oh, yeah. I, that's something I find annoying. It. it it happens sometimes, but uh, not in Earthbound. Mm. I think they mostly play fair with their encounters. And in um, in contrast to uh, other other um, contemporary RPGs that showed encounters on the field, like like Chrono Trigger or Romancing Saga, uh, Earthbound's got that wonderful little feature where if you are at a high enough level, the enemies will flee from you. Mm-hmm. And whenever mm-hmm. you, yes. when, when, when you defeat the boss of a sanctuary dungeon, they'll automatically flee from you. Yeah, that's. That's great. That's a, that's a great little feature. Yeah. I did want to ask, though, for you guys who have played it before, I personally kind of get a little bit of a Chrono Trigger vibe from this game. Like, a lot of things together kind of give me the same feeling. Starts off really? pretty lighthearted, then starts to get a little bit darker. The visible enemies things, obviously. But, like, the whole adventure itself, and I don't know how the game ends, but I've seen the last boss... And comparing it to Lavos and everything, like I don't know, it just I guess has given me like mm, a parallel, you know? Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, they're yeah, both. Yeah, I don't see it personally, but that's an interesting take. I think tonally the games are very different. Like Chrono is a, um, even though Chrono does a lot of things that are unique for RPGs of that time and place, it basically is traditional in the adventure you're going on and the and the the sort of tone of the game. Even though it, it does get it does get darker later, but I mean, Earthbound doesn't feel like any other game of its time and place. Right. Yeah. Of course. I just get those little hints from the side. You know, I want to see if anybody else felt it. I, I I think I would compare it to Chrono Trigger, as both of them are excellent RPGs on the Super Nintendo from around the same time. But I I, I don't I don't I don't really think of them being uh, as a one to one comparison. Mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger draws inspiration from, um, you know, the JRPG genre, uh, as well as um, anime and manga with um, Toriyama's influence. Whereas um, Earthbound is, it's like the only art, the only JRPG that I can think of that doesn't use uh, manga and anime culture as a reference point. You know, That's it feels true. completely yeah. divorced from that. It's like, if anything, it would be like, you know, it feels like it has more in common with like an alternative manga, but um, it's very iconoclastic in that way. Actually, thinking about it, what about American comics? I mean, I know they're a little young, but. A little bit. Well, well, I mean, uh, Robert did mention that you think Itoi might have been inspired by Charles Schultz. And, uh, oh, definitely with a so, pig pen character, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, yeah, you see. Yeah, there, there's, there's, yeah, there's even a, a like a recurring NPC look that's basically pig pen. <laughs> um, they, but, you know, Schultz and Itoi, there's both. They both in, in Peanuts and in Earthbound. There's a kind of like 
kind of like a, a, a um, existential zen. Yeah, especially yeah, sorry, go ahead. especially early Peanuts when people, I mean, people sort of might uh, look back on Peanuts since it was going, it went on for fifty years or so of it being a maybe somewhat innocent, oh. uh, an, an innocent comic with just some memorable child personalities in it. Um, it turned into the Snoopy show eventually, but before yeah, yeah, but then, it was it was dark and serious. It was it was a mm-hmm. countercultural comic that uh, that you know was in tune with the uh, with America's sort of you know greater feelings of ennui and depression during the Vietnam era. It get old peanuts get gets weird and dark, especially and existential. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and like, and like Charlie Brown is a regular Eeyore sometimes to compare it to another, to another Western classic, you know, illustrated character. But, uh, but, um, you're, you're right. Like, um, Earthbound does not really feel like it's drawing from traditional fantasy sci-fi, uh, JRPG ideas and is coming from a more unique place. Um, American mm. comics might've been an influence more to, uh, like I think written science fiction probably was, uh, an influence at times. It was probably influenced by Japanese literature and science fiction and not necessarily manga and fantasy. I would say. Oh yeah, I mean there there's a reference to almost transparent blue in there, which yeah. is, is is weird. So and and Itoi is a is a well known copywriter and essayist in Japan. He was even a mm-hmm. he was even a guest a, a guest judge in one episode of Iron Chef, which makes him a yes. legend, which immediately oh. makes him a legend. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I think Chen Kenichi won that episode because he wins most of the episodes. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, like it, there it really it doesn't really feel like any RPG of its time, and is part of what makes. Earthbound unique and special and resonate with so many people and uh, I maybe we've mentioned this earlier this episode but uh, I think one of the great fan sites of the internet is starmen.net which is the place to go to for mother or earthbound stuff and they're they, they, they do amazing work their guides are excellent their archives are excellent their uh, uh, they're like their media resources are excellent. They have um, annual and and semi annual events and contests related to Earthbound. They've been a lot. They've been around for, I think, twenty years. Maybe a maybe a little more. Mm, yeah, I think like twenty. I think it's the twenty first or twenty second year. Yeah, it's it's a year older than RPG Fan at least, and uh, and also older than the very ancient website that I used to write for that's still around, Caves of Narsh, but. Uh, Starman is, I think, one of the most impressive fan sites out there. So anyone listening that has not visited there before and has at least a casual interest in Earthbound or Mother should check out what they have going on because they've been doing like f- excellent fan site work for decades, and it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to go back to moving linear, linearly through the Earthbound plot because I guess that's as the, how this episode is turning out. But uh, after after they escape Threed, they go th- uh, through the desert, um, go to a, a town called Foreside, which is much larger than the, any of the other three, uh, have to bust the Runaway Five out of a bad contract again. And this time, as a child, I knew to go to the side of the of the <laughs> theater manager when I had to present when I had to um, present her the treasure to get them out of there. <laughs> um, you talk to maybe one of my favorite dumb you encounter one maybe my favorite dumb joke in Earthbound, uh, the five moles that all believe they're the third strongest mole. <laughs> oh they're good. That is man, that is a thing. Like I I, I, I was laughing at the absurdity of that even as a even as a preteen. I mean, someone. <laughs> Five people each believing they're a third strongest is just great. <laughs> it's really good. And the number three floating in the background when you fight them, all of them. <laughs> right. 
the game knows things. The game thinks they are too. Third mole. And, uh, yeah, one, and one of them goes, "I'm somewhere. I rank somewhere between second and fourth strongest." Yeah. And the last, then the last one says, "You have beaten my strongest co- cohort, and the second strongest, and the weakest, and the second wrongest strongest." And I will show you the true power of what is third strongest. <laughs> it's, it's, oh man, it's what a ter- what an awesome joke to tell for twenty straight minutes over five boss battles. <laughs> if anything, Itui is really dedicated to his running joke. Is <laughs> is fantastic. Yes, yeah, um, fantastic commitment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and just just the humor in general in this game is so strong. It's uh, it it it's offbeat. It's weird. Um, it's both visual and and writing. And there's puns sometimes. Like what what uh, name the famous song? Blank today. And then your answers are your options are yes or no. <laughs> Yep. Like just like like silly little things like that, and sort of more involved jokes like the third strongest mole. There, there is so much to laugh at at Earthbound. I, I am, I'm still laughing at the jokes I laughed at as a child playing it as a thirty year old man. Hmm. One of my favorites this this time around was there's a random Mr. Saturn after you help the mountains. Oh, Mr. Saturn! I know that one. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he 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 is talking about Ness, and he says delicious Ness. <laughs> <laughs> oh right! Yeah, the puns. Um, <laughs> Man, even even when like their handwriting looks like it was a dog peeing in the snow, they they still <laughs> they still understand they still understand puns. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> although um although the desert and having to return to it is not exactly my favorite portion of the game, I think the whole thing with the mine and the moles, um, the whole scenario itself is um there's some interesting backstory to that that you know it. Oh, hit me, hit Use, me. Using it as Let's context. Let's go deep, Robert. Let's go deep. Come on. Um, using it as context, it's, you know, it, it shows you that Itoi, it, it really demonstrates his sense of humor and shows that he's not afraid to laugh at himself. So basically, um, in 1868, when... Oh, yeah, Edo, let's go deep. Come on. Yeah, here we I go. Want here it. we go. So when Edo became Tokyo, um, legend has it that um, some ninja bandits stole a whole bunch of gold... Uh, mm-hmm. And then buried Ninja it bandits, in the I'm with you. Okay. Um, during the 1990s, um, some new information came to light um, that convinced Itoi that the gold was buried at Mount Akagi. So he hired a a, t- a a video crew and a construction team and all this construction equipment, and he televised this big dig mm. for gold. He was like, "We're really going to find it." Right, and um, and and they um and when you're fighting the moles, uh, the what was a hole earlier in the game is a large is a larger excavation with a crowd of people around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, but like Geraldo Rivera and Al Capone's vault, um, this big uh, dig into the mountains that was televised for all the glory amounted to nothing. They found absolutely nothing at all. Um, and Itoi was very good humored about it. He said, "Like, hey, I produced the world's first civil engineering show." Um, <laughs> and then obviously he he put this whole scenario in Earthbound as well, just you know poking fun at. Um, it was a big waste of time, and everybody was excited. Oh, and and I, I really really like that. That that is cool, and it. It, that maybe it fits in a little bit. Um, that after you defeat the moles and you, uh, the miner and his brother that you help out, thank you. On your way back to Foreside, one of them comes up behind you, goes, "Hey, man, we couldn't find gold, but we did find this useless diamond in it, so you can have that, I guess." <laughs> and you uh, and you use the diamond to free the Runaway Five again. So yeah, I, I was not aware of that anecdote, Robert, and thank you so much for telling it to us. And um, and special shout out to um, Pincho, Pancho, and Tomas Jefferson as well. I love those (laughs) guys. Oh, wait. Are those those the the Mexican slot machine brothers in the desert? 
Yes. Yo, God, I didn't remember those and them. And when I found when I encountered them earlier this week playing the game, oh man, that was a delight. <laughs> They're so funny. <laughs> Pincho, Pancho, and Tomas Jefferson. Excellent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in foresight side, you encounter uh, Pokey again, our favorite fat asshole neighbor and uh, pardon my french he's a real um, apartment yeah he's uh he, he's a real piece of work but uh you end up traveling into an opposite day version of foresight and uh and and fi- and um finally smashing that uh evil statue that is uh, seems to be influencing adults to be very cruel to children um so, so I, I, it was—it's called Moonside, right? I, I was—I I, had—I was thinking Darkside, and I knew that was wrong. So was, I was trying to think of the name of the alt foreside, and it's Moonside. So, uh, what do you guys think of Moonside? It's just like turning, the, switching the contrast to the opposite for, uh, for the entire town, and maybe hurting your eyes a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, starting with you, Keegan, what 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 exactly went through your head when you found Moonside? Joke's on you guys, because I'm colorblind, so it didn't affect me that much. Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> Although, it was that might, that might have made it worse if the reds looked like greens. It, red, green. Huh? Still all gray. Yep. <laughs> I, well, I, I, whatever. Uh, so, so well, well, I mean, but just the, weird, just the weirdness of that, like fighting, um, fo- finding Salvador Dali clocks and, uh, yes. and, and, have, and even like the hotel and the hospital having yes and no flipped. Just, just like the little weird touches in Moonside make it a, yeah. a pretty it's... memorable weird place. But then when it happened, I was like, this game's really weird. It took that long for you to think the game was weird. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought it was weird at first. And then it jumped ahead. And I was like, oh, now we're at the weird part. Yeah, it, it goes full Dadaism at this point. Yeah. I fully admit I had a friend walk by when I first got to Moonside and go, is it supposed to look like that? <laughs> uh, th- this time or when you played it many years ago? This time. Okay. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Man. Moonside is something, and poor Mayor Monotoli. Just he just. Ends I don't up... have that. I don't have too much sympathy for him. Eh. Well, I mean, I, I felt bad for him when he tried to help you, and then Pokey ruined it because you know Pokey's the worst. Hmm. But how? I have a question. I might have just been missing talking to certain NPCs. But how does Pokey keep jumping up in these certain situations? You know. Like, it's not explained. It's it's very. He's just a jerk, and the plot's a little bit bare bones about that. Yeah, it's up I, to your imagination, okay. really. I think. Um, I think it starts with him just being a, a jerk and stealing that statue from your uh, from your other neighbor. And yes. you don't even see him steal. It's yeah, you don't. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, you, you don't even hear. You don't see him steal it. You just uh, you learn that he stole it long after the fact. And that's and yeah. that's and that's only if you talk to liar exaggerate and see the statue for the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, and but I think that the influence of the statue sort of brings Pokey close to the evil uh, force that's uh, that's you know um, going on in the background of the game, and that mm-hmm. and that just escalates his badness and and yeah. has it, and has him staying involved in the plot, which is right, kind of it's, it's kind of shocking how long he stays involved in the plot. Yeah, and it helps kind of maneuver him along. Hmm. That's what I thought, but like I wasn't getting any confirmations from the game itself, so I wasn't one hundred percent sure. Well, I like how I like how the many many statue is not 
the cause of all of the woes. It's the cause of some of the woes, but there's also mm. bad people who are still bad even after they're no longer under the influence, you know? So yes. it's not like it's not this magic fix. There are just some people are just jerks mm. in this world. And I, I think that's something that you don't often see. Uh, in in these types of games, usually it's like, oh, it's when the corrupting influence is gone, you know, everything is idealistic and things yeah, aren't no. quite so simple here. There's still yeah. a range. There's always a range. Yeah, and um, like the, uh, I don't think the the police officers in the in Wynette were uh, were affected by the statue, and that's that that's quite a message. Five police officers trying to beat up a kid who was who was rude to one of them. <laughs> that's it. Ties up with my experience with small town cops. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, one other thing that I uh, uh, I think we've talked about a little bit off air, but I haven't mentioned yet, is that part of the ongoing quest of the game is that Ness has to locate um, places called sanctuaries that are. Uh, I, I don't know if any of them have a uh, a, a visual significance. Like, I don't I don't know why the first two are giant step and little put steps. There there may be a, a hidden meaning that I don't understand, but they're all there's just these unusual places where. There's just a feeling of peace, and each of them has a little melody that uh, that Ness records in an item called a soundstone. And one thing that I find very satisfying, and I do it usually every every time I go to a sanctuary, is is use the soundstone item in your inventory and just hear the hear the songs chained together to hmm. for, to form the larger song, which is yes. just delightful. It's so sweet, and they they did they did the same thing in Mother One, but uh, the. I don't, I don't know. It's just a little quest mechanic that I really enjoy. Hmm. You get to see those cute little kind of postcard icons for each of the sanctuaries, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's really great uh, art of the sanctuaries in one of the old Earthbound art books that I perused in starmen.net, and it was it was cool Ooh. seeing those, too. Mm-hmm. I need to take a look at that, because I, I was really liking the sanctuaries and kind of getting a road trip, very American sort of vibe from them. Yes. <laughs> And it's a uh, the sanctuaries also make the uh, the world feel a little contiguous because uh, um, Jeff finds the bosses to one of the to the boss of the fourth sanctuary when yes. you when you when you're doing your little solo bit with him uh, long before you go back you return there with Ness to beat the boss and uh, th- maybe this is a minor spoiler but you can see the f- the fifth sanctuary from behind a wall in Foreside. Oh. Uh, yes, it's, it's a little sort of pyramid-looking uh, looking thing behind the the department store, but and there's uh, this supposed peeping Tom looking over the wall, and he's like, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, and he even says, I don't think that's my space. That might be yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, like the, the sanctuaries are, you know, they're real rooted places in this world, and you can, uh, and and they they're significant, and and uh, and I I don't know. They just seem like a very fun sort of MacGuffin that, uh, that I don't know, really works with me. Maybe because it's, they have a music tie-in and are unique and weird. And, like, I, like, I don't understand why, them, why one of them's Milky Well and why one of them's Rainy Circle. Like that, that, why are these important? I don't know. But the music's nice. Agreed. I also really like the music in Winters. Mm. A lot of the music in this game is really nice. It uses... um. A sort of unsophisticated chipset, like like a lot of it is like straight from Mario Kart, and it's not mm-hmm. um it's not as rich or interesting as like the chipset that Konami and Square and Square Games are doing at this time. Yep. There there is a drum sample ripped directly from Sergeant Pepper that right. comes in later <laughs> later on. So, 
but it's uh, uh, the, a lot of the music is really good, and I, I'm it's not, very I'm not pleasant. Gonna, I'm not going to hate. I even for an uh, for an older episode of this show, I think it was the Super Nintendo episode. I used the uh, the one net theme for an outro. I think so. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I I can't hate on the music. So we have been all over the first half of Earthbound. Do we have anything that we want to specifically address before we start closing down the shop? I think I've said my piece on my end about this first part so far. I'm just excited to see where it leads. Go down this rabbit hole. Cool. Oh. I got. I have one thing. Um, the monster designs in this game get real strange, and real fun. So I just want to um, run down the panel, uh, starting with you, Keegan. Do you have a favorite monster that you've encountered in this game? And when I, and I say monster in air quotes because some, <laughs> because some of these things are just normal things that have to turn back to normal. <laughs> I think favorite design. I'd have to probably go with the Mad Duck. I just like its dead eyes staring <laughs> yes. at me constantly. Mad Duck. <laughs> Fat Although I will say, deck. I know you asked for favorite. My least favorite, the ants that you fight in the mines. Oh yeah, the 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 gigant, oh. the gigant ants. Yeah. Yes. yeah. They take way too much damage, and they poison you way too much, and they take all of Paula's PP, and I can't deal with it. Yeah, they do die in one freeze spell, but they are annoying. Oh, I should have been doing that. Then. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, yeah. Like it's <laughs> if you just try to mindlessly press A in this game and defeat everything with regular attacks, you're gonna have a bad time. It's hard you, like, because um, monsters do have elemental and and spell weaknesses that are good to exploit, especially if you get lucky and find magic butterflies to restore your PP. Yeah. In my defense, I was saving those free spells for the moles. So. And the the moles will also die in ones in yep. one freeze gamma. That's true. So, uh, uh, Rob, do you have a favorite uh, monster or enemy design that we've encountered in the first half? Well, I, too, am quite partial to the Mad Duck. Uh, I always feel a little sad fighting him, though, because I just think of, you know, bludgeoning this cute, weird little duck. Uh, and that gets me down yeah, a when bit. You look at it, when you look at it realistically, here's three kids walking around beating the crap out of animals and trees. Yeah. And With baseball bats and <laughs> yeah. frying pans and ray guns. Yeah. <laughs> Like, why did that child just throw a bottle, launch a bottle rocket at a tree, <laughs> and why did the tree explode? <laughs> but, um, I like I like most of the bosses that we've seen so far, uh, from you know the fantastic animals like Mondo Mole to Mister Carpenter himself of the Happy Happiest. <laughs> um, I'm a real big fan of the moving items that you see, like the the scalding cup of coffee or the noose man. Uh, and especially the mad taxi. I really, really like the, the <laughs> cute little taxi cab. And um, uh, on the topic of cute, uh, the cute little UFO is probably one of yeah. my favorites in the entire oh, yeah. game. I like, a, a, a UFO with a little lady's bow. Uh, it, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of sort of um, like, you know, mid 20th century Americana interpretations of alien invasions <laughs> in Earthbound. Yeah. So there's like a lot of little float, like, um, like, you know, gray man style alien designs and floaty little UFOs. Uh, you know that are fighting you alongside trees and ducks and and and, and cultists that you know uh, with teardrop hats. It's the monster designs are all over the place in this game. My personal favorite are some of the uh, the insane humans that you meet, like the new age retro hippie or <laughs> yeah. the uh, the uh, the annoying revelator is a good one. The uh, cranky old lady, I think, is one. I might, I might have the adjective wrong on her. I like how there are cranky ladies and extra cranky ladies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know she means business. <laughs> so, Hillary, do you have a favorite monster that we've met so far in the first half? Um, you mentioned most of them, honestly, but 
I am. I feel a deep connection with the clumsy robot. The clumsy <laughs> robot boss. That thing really, yes. really effed my ass up. Oh man, <laughs> I had to use some life noodles. <laughs> Uh, I think I because I, I, I um I did lose to it wipe out to the to the clumsy robot once, but it helped the second time when I put um threw shields on Jeff. Yes. But man, that was an unexpected <laughs> boss that really <laughs> it was much yeah. more threatening than it looked. <laughs> it's um defeated defeated in an unexpected way. Yes. Yes. And, and I love it that um, the, the first activity you do in Foreside is deal with the moles and free the Runaway Five. And um, when you talk to them before de- before you encounter the moles, they say, oh, you, you should free us again. Uh, you're going to need our help to talk to Mr. Monotoli. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- how do you know this and where is this coming from? But yeah, they, they rescue you from the clumsy robot. <laughs> By simply turning it off. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> God, that reminds me of a of a of a Danganronpa two scenario that we'll talk about next week. But speaking of next week, I think we're about done with this week, fellas, our and lady, gentlemen and lady. <laughs> so, uh, do we have any uh, any actual <laughs> final things to address before I you know hijack the podcast again with my own nonsense? One true pairing: the black and white sesame seeds. I don't know. I kind of my OTP is ever dread with the extra cranky old lady. <laughs> Whoa, okay. You're into that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we go deep on Retro Encounter. We go to we go eighteen sixty eight uh ninja bandits and Everdread uh Everdread matchmaking on this episode. So I think that about does it. Uh thank you listeners for putting up with us for over an hour talking about the delightful Earthbound, and thank you to Hillary, Robert, and Keegan for joining me on this podca- podcast. Uh next month we are um, next month, next week, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about Don Gunrampa two, which I alluded to a short time ago. Uh that's gonna be a special follow up episode to the uh, only one episode though, uh to the Don Gunrampa one episodes that we recorded last year. Um and then following that we'll have a a, a second part to our Earthbound episode. If you want to contact us, the best way to do so is to email us at retro at rpgfan.com. We read everything that's directed to us. You can also comment on the rpgfan.com message boards, visit the rpgfan.com Facebook page, and find us on Twitter at rpgfancom. And if, you listen, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please rate and review us. It's a, it'll expose the podcast to more listeners. And... Um, and also spread the word. We're a podcast that records every week and have fun doing it. So before we say our farewells, uh, starting with you, Hillary, how can listeners find you? Um, I am EP Fire on the boards. And that's probably the, the best way to reach me at this point. Oh, so are you in the uh, are you joining Rob Simon in the I don't have a Twitter club? <laughs> yes, actually. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I got it. That's fine. No judgment. We're a judgment free zone here. <laughs> Unless I'm, unless we're, unless someone says they like Kingdom Hearts, I guess. But uh, and it's Keegan, so how uh, can listeners find you if they wish to do so? You guys can find me as a Fozzie Bear on the boards. I'm also on Twitter as Kaylee Brand. Feel free to stop by and send a tweet towards me. Right on. And Robert, same question. Uh, once again, I am Towns Carmarty on the boards, and I'm on Twitter at Misanthropob. Hit me up. I'm always open to talking about any of the mother games. And so, also, uh, uh, let's uh, do it. And also, Robert and his and uh, one of his friends have a delightful website called misanthropop.com. 
and a uh, and a web and a website and a podcast called Misanthroplay. And I have perused the website and listened to several of those podcasts. They're very nice and worth your listening time. Oh. Well, th- thank you so much. Oh, we got an welcome. episode on um, on Gunstar Heroes going up Ooh. soon, so uh, look for that. <laughs> Ooh, I love Gunstar Heroes. Man, it's the, the best. The Genesis one and the and the GBA one, both A plus. No argument here. All right, this is not a Gunstar Heroes podcast. Although now I have a mind to start one. You think you think it's RPG enough to cover on the website? Come on, <laughs> let's go for it. Yeah, we'll do a special like Mega Man and Gunstar episode. Oh, hey. I'm about that. Mm-hmm. Guardian hey. Heroes, on the other hand, that's oh, got a leveling system. It does. I do like me some fantasy final fight on Saturn. There, is there a way to play Guardian Heroes legally now without a Saturn? Is it on? It's on, is three, it, six, it's on 360. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. I was not aware of that, but I I hadn't aggressively pursued that idea either, which is I, which makes sense. So this is not a Guardian Heroes podcast or a Gunstar Heroes podcast or any kind of Heroes podcast. It is a Earthbound podcast, and now it is over. Thank you. Good night and good luck. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.